that's a lot of what I hear from women is that sex isn't for them. And I wholeheartedly disagree. You're listening to Good Is In The Details. I'm your host, Gwendolyn Dalski, and co-hosting with me today is Organizing Director for California Yimby, Constantine Hatcher. And our talk today is about sex education. Our guest is nurse and sex educator, speaker, Cindy Sharkey. We are talking about female pleasure and desire styles and how to talk to your partner about sex. There is also a lot of good advice here for parents on how to talk to their children about sex. Before we get started, I'd like to thank everyone who has rated and reviewed the show. If you haven't yet and you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please scroll down to the bottom and hit that five-star review. And if you have any questions about this podcast, you can get in touch, goodisinthedetailspod at gmail.com or on Instagram, goodisinthedetailspod. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash goodisinthedetails. Okay, now let's talk sex ed. All right. Well, let's get started. Okay. So Cindy, welcome to the show. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. Nursing background and then going into sex ed. This is specifically targeted for women, correct? And parents. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess one of the things I want to know is how did you move from nursing into this? You must have noticed that there was a need. You must have seen that there was a gap. What is it that brought your attention to the issue of sex ed for women and then made you want to embark on this journey? Well, I was an old, I'm was i an old labor and delivery nurse. So back in the day, I worked labor and delivery, taught childbirth education, and then I worked women's health, an OBGYN, back office, did all the things. I also have three daughters. So I think what I found working with women, especially in obstetrics and gynecology, is that they had a lot of the same kinds of questions. And it was based on not having any sex education. I mean, things that I thought would be no brainer were not. They just did not have education around their bodies, around sex, around partnered sex, all of it. I had advice from an older family member who thought that doing jumping jacks after sex would prevent pregnancy. Yes. Well, there's so many myths, right? I didn't try that. When you heard constantly. (laughs) I didn't. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's true. Especially here in our country, we have really non-comprehensive sex education. I've heard that it doesn't even have to be medically accurate, which is making me wonder, how do you screw that up? I, mm. I'm wondering if, is it that the clitoris is left off the whole map? So my theory, I'd love to know what you think about that. My theory is that because the narrative in sex ed is that sex is for reproduction. And then as soon as you introduce the clitoris, that that alters the narrative, because that would suggest that maybe the function of sex, that that's a possibility, but that that might not actually be the function of sex, that the function of sex could be pleasure, that it could be because it's like the, the clitoris doesn't, I mean, well, you could tell me, does it have a function other than pleasure? The clitoris is only function. Or frustrating men, let's just say that. Well, and it's it's true. It's taken so long for the medical community, even the anatomy books, to incorporate the whole of the clitoris structure. It's way larger than people think it is. It's not just the glands or the head that you can see. There's much more to it. Mm -hmm. Often if I bring a 3D example, people have no idea. What what, is it? A wishbone? Is it a, what what is it? (laughs) 
Yeah. Because there's so much there and it has not been documented. It's not in the textbooks. People don't learn about it in medical school, et cetera, et cetera, let alone in sex ed with our young people. It's the key to pleasure. It's the big piece of education that I find across the board that most women and most men don't know about. I mean, something that hit me in thinking about this question that you said that a lot of women do have is, is this normal, is that women aren't a girl's young girls are instructed from when they are younger to not touch, to not look. They don't even have authority over their own bodies. Now with a young boy, there's some, you know, joy I'm thinking because all the parts are on the outside and it does fun things. It moves. You can spell, Easy out, access, your, spell, right? spell out your name, you know, like <laughs> while you be like, there's all sorts of, all sorts of fun things involved with that. But girls, they don't even have permission to look and explore their own bodies. And so I can imagine that in adulthood, it is mysterious for women to understand even how it functions or what it's supposed to do. That's exactly it. I think there's just a weird silence around female bodies and also just acceptance of their bodies. It's a big picture, actually. I would say not knowing what their body's about, not feeling the freedom to touch their own body, talk about their body, look at their own body. I have adult women in their 50s and 60s who've never looked at their vulva. So even the terminology is foreign to them. Get a mirror. And I'm like, if you just get a mirror, and their face will be um, a guy, it's like, ah, no, wow, we do this? This is can't be. And it's, I'm like, it's like your elbow. It's like your nose. This is what I teach parents. This is your elbow. This is your nose. This is your penis. You know, this is your leg. This is your foot. This is your vagina. Just say the words and take the mystery out of what's normal. I know we treat it like Voldemort, right? That's, I wonder if that's why J.K. Rowling gave the word Voldemort. It sounds very similar to Volva. I think part of it too, I wonder, men also clearly need to be taught this. <laughs> because, Absolutely. I mean, if you just think about porn and sex industry, and, and it's probably the preeminent patriarchal form, is such a um, clearly nothing to do with the pleasuring of women. I just think that it's so interesting. It reminds me a little bit of, I was watching a TED talk a little bit ago where it was on sexual assault and it was a man that was giving this talk and he was saying sexual assault isn't a woman's issue, it's a man's issue. Mm. To a certain degree, I wonder, and if you could talk to that, is it also, do you think that some of this is also a man's issue in respecting and understanding a woman's body? as potential future partners, not in all, obviously there's differences, but you know, for the majority of folks. Well, there's a lot to that question. Pornography is a really crappy sex ed. So it's, it's entertainment. And the issue, especially for today's young people, is that's all the sex ed they have. Often they're not taught anything in their homes, there's silence in their home, or it's taboo and not okay to talk about. And so their education does come from pornography, which is actors acting for entertainment. It's so often unrealistic bodies, unrealistic acts, and also it doesn't demonstrate normal female arousal, desire, and orgasm. Those things then are skewed in the young people's minds, men and women, boys and girls, to think that's what's normal when in fact it isn't. So that's the first part. I think the other part is that men and women for so long have only had framework around sex education related to men and sex. And somehow it was like women and sex light. You know, that's how the educators talk about it. You know, like an addendum to male sexuality. And (laughs) and female sexuality is 
you know, we all have the same parts, but they're organized a lot differently. Way better. The men <laughs> probably wrote the books too. Correct. Yeah. So that's probably why all of this stuff was left out. And from what I understand is that the better the sex ed is, that you actually have a reduction in diseases and in unwanted pregnancy and in violence, that one of the fears about more sex ed is that somehow everyone's going to be running around and doing it. But the numbers seem to show the exact opposite. And I think it's because if a woman knew exactly how her body functioned, then when she's in a situation that is not right, it wouldn't continue. Yeah. And the, and the research and the studies are pretty um, they will flush that out every time. That's a misconception that so many parents have is as they're raising their young people, thinking that if I give the least amount of information, then we'll have the least amount of issues with it. But the flip side is actually what you've described is true. The more education they have, the better choices they make, the smarter choices they make. They also experience more pleasure, Yeah, which is key. The information I find that I always, one of the things I thought about when just raising my sons is they're going to get it from somewhere. So it might as well be from me. Now, granted, I might have overdone it. And I, this is actually leads to my next question, but I might have actually overdone it and have overshared and much to their chagrin and embarrassment. <laughs> <laughs> but in talking to them, you know, as I had Zadie was born, I asked my sons, you know, what are some of the things that I should keep and, and continue, you know, that I did with you guys. And they were like, continue to keep it real with her like you did with us. And I just thought that was interesting because I would think that that, even though they, you know, they, they talk crap about how much they hate that, but that actually was something that was, that they thought was one of the most important things that I do going forward. To that point now, it's a lot easier for me with boys <laughs> in terms of like having those conversations with the daughter. What are some of the things that maybe I'm not even the best messenger here, but you know, there's too many places where, you know, men have to like are in positions where they might have to have that conversation. What are some of the best ways for parents in general and also for men to have those kind of conversations with their daughters? I often don't think you can provide too much. So much goes in and out of you know their brains at the time. They kind of clamp on to what they really want to know right then. I think with our kids, and especially for men, so often they'll say, well, I... I should I be the one to talk to my daughters? And absolutely. There's been a lot of studies about that, how much kids benefit from both parents, whether you have two moms, two dads, a mom and a dad, just the different perspectives that we bring and the different verbiage that we use and just our demeanor and our comfort level, all of that plays in together. And I think it's really important for men and dads to know that their input is really valuable. I think it's super important. I mean, I have three daughters, okay? So I told my, my husband from the get-go, listen, I know I'm the nurse and I know I'm the educator and I know I'm the one that talks about everything, but there are gonna be times when you're here or you're in the moment and how comfortable are you answering these kind of questions? What can I do to help you be more comfortable? Or what can you do for yourself to be more comfortable? Is it even standing in front of a mirror and saying vagina, clitoris, vagina, clitoris, vulva, breast? I mean, whatever you have to say out loud till you can say it comfortably. And sometimes that's what it takes. We start there. Another thing too I tell parents is don't forget that you can take a pause. Sometimes questions come at you, especially I think in this day and age when kids see so much porn. I mean, they are seeing porn at such an early age. I mean, I keep telling parents this. They're like, oh no, I'm like, oh yes, they do. They have questions and if you feel caught in the moment or say you're a dad and your daughter starts their period and you're, you're the one with them 
and they're going, what, you know, what am I going to do? Hopefully they've been prepared ahead of time with information, but you don't have to know all the answers. Pause and say, what can I do to help you in this situation? Or what I hear you asking is this, or that's a really interesting question. What made you think of that question? Sometimes with the younger kids, that's especially good because sometimes they're asking something simple and we want to give them a huge dialogue. And all they really wanted to know was, was that a condom or not? Or was that, a, you know, just a simple question. As awkward as conversations can be, mm-hmm. one of my friends who is a guy with a daughter and his daughter who's young, didn't know the meaning of, but this just goes to the power of the internet, looked up what is masturbation. And so you can imagine the kinds of things that would come up from an internet search from that word. And so even though she was very young, and no matter how awkward it is for somebody to ask you about what that is, you'd want for them to come to you as opposed to the Google search. Think about the difference between the awkwardness of answering that question versus the awkwardness of explaining their Google search. There you go. (laughs) I think that It's healthy if it just opens up the trust. Or I've also heard established that there is a family member or somebody close the child feels like they can go to. Sure, an auntie or a good friend of the family that's safe that you share values with. We don't have to be all of it as parents, right? The more trusted adults kids have in their lives, the better for them, I think. You know, the whole thing, it takes a village. There's value in kids having many trusted adults that they can confide in, talk to, trust, and get information from. So yeah, ideally, we're starting the education early. I say it starts right away, just with body parts. It's a lot of little conversations that you build on over time. And you're continually doing what you said, saying, I'm here for you. I want to answer your questions. Your sexual health is an important part of you being a healthy person. I'll answer anything you ask. And if I don't know, I'll find out or we'll find out together. That's good. I think because there is so much tied to the notion of sex that as soon as we tend to look at it in a negative way, it's either the pornographic way or it's some sort of I I don't know, like you need to fan yourself, whatever. Like we can't talk about it. We have these two extremes. And so as soon as you say, now parents talk to your children about sex, people probably freak out. When you say it starts young, what do you mean by that? Like, you know, what does a parent understand? Because their mind is going to an adult's understanding of sex and thinking that does not belong with my child. So what Mm -hmm. is age appropriate when you're saying start young? So body parts and then what else? Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like the adult lenses you're talking about. I encourage parents to take those off and remember where your child is, especially the younger kids. They're not even think that's not where their mind, their mind is developed into those kinds of things. They don't, they're not into the erotic. They're just asking simple questions around basic things because they're curious and curiosity is normal and a good thing. So start with body parts, name them, call them what they are. Not only does that start their sexual health conversation for their own bodies and selves and their overall health, but it also gives them language that we know is important to prevent sexual abuse, molestation, you know, somebody being groomed for those kind of things. When the children have language around their genitals, it's off-putting. It's like one of the number one things I tell parents, you know, this is a good thing to be doing. You want to keep your kids safe and you want them to have 
knowledge about their sexual health. So start there and then have the conversations little by little as they come. You see a pregnant woman, you see a breastfeeding woman, you see a couple holding hands, all of these relationship and normal things that you see in life. You can use those to jumpstart conversations about little things over time, little tiny conversations, just thousands and thousands of them, much better than the talk that nobody really ever gets, or if they do, it's so awkward and weird. There's no buildup for it. So then it comes off really odd. To the adult women, the question of, am I normal? What are some of the questions that they have? They're asking about anatomy. They're asking if their anatomy looks normal, if it responds normally. On top of the anatomy, tons and tons and tons of questions around pleasure meaning how do I have pleasure? Why am I not having pleasure? And what I see and hear and know from whatever my education has been, this is supposed to be fun and good and I'm not experiencing that. I think because education has so often been about penis and vagina sex. Do we get to say whatever we want on here? I can't. I should you ask. go for it. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, it's, Women need to understand that 75% of women do not orgasm without clitoral stimulation. So intercourse does not provide the stimulation they need to orgasm. Maybe 25% can without direct clitoral stimulation, but that's a huge majority of women. That's the number one thing I teach because most women don't know that and most men don't know that. So they're thinking, why am I not experiencing pleasure? Why is this not fun? Why do I not want to do it? Why am I not normal? And I want to say, you are, well, actually, you are normal. Okay, so there's something really sad. Uh, I mean, I'm glad that you're doing the education, but there's something very sad about having, like, you know, these women in marriages and then they're not understanding. Why. Okay, that's sad. Because sad. I think I think one of the things is that we're teaching... I'm trying to think of how to say this. So like I said, I think back to the functionality is that she's just supposed to bear the child. That's it. And then whenever there is a discussion about girls anatomy, it has to do a lot with periods. And I'm wondering if a lot of women are then just, uh, I don't know, just not even looking at it as an activity, as a way for them to enjoy themselves, enjoy their bodies, enjoy their partners, connect with their partners. There's something just very sad about that. It almost seems like women are taught that sex is not an enjoyable, like proactively taught that sex is not an activity that's to be enjoyed by them because we're not ever speaking the language of how it can be enjoyable for them. We talk about men ejaculation and, you know, and those are all things that happen through male enjoyment, but it's so rare that the discussion ever centers around things that, you know, the intimacy side and the different ways that women are aroused where they, it's enjoyable for them. And then you play that out, you're in a marriage for 30 years and this marriage that you're not this thing that is such an important part of a healthy relationship you are just like locked out of that whole participation and so taking it beyond just sex seems like it's almost really like a quality of life mm. issue no i agree and i think that's a lot of what i hear from women is that sex isn't for them and I wholeheartedly disagree. If we're able to educate women and men, and we can change that kind of dialogue with the truth about arousal, the truth about desire styles, we don't all work the exact same way. I mean, just take the desire styles, for instance. A huge majority of women experience responsive desire, a more majority of men experience spontaneous desire. So 
spontaneous. You know, you see, you use your senses, you see something, hear something, smell something, get aroused, want to have sex. A lot, a lot of women experience responsive desire where they have to experience arousal that leads them to desire to have sex. So did you see the difference there? There's if spontaneity, if spontaneity, <laughs> spontaneity actually really ever happens, especially once you get older in your relationship or you have kids and stuff going on. But just that alone, it, when I work with a woman and teach her about that, it's a game changer because they think something's broken with me because I can't get turned on just like that. And if they're married to a, a male partner and they are spontaneous with their desire, that creates probably one of the biggest issues for couples they go to therapy for that they fight about is that kind of desire discrepancy. And that's, it's normal. It's normal to not be aligned. Even that alone is a game changer for a lot of couples. If you could just kind of expand a little more on the responsive desire, I think that's just such an interesting concept that I think from a male perspective, a lot of men don't really understand. And so I would love to hear a little more about that. And, and the, the truth about it is as we age male or female, we naturally move into more responsive desire. So this is really key education for everyone. See, I'm, I'm the over 50 crowd. So, you know, I'm getting in the age where you can see with the over 50, we start to move towards more responsive desire because of our hormone levels and all the things, right? And if we knew that was normal, they could be really much more content in working within that kind of style. So our brain has a sexual excitation system, right? It's a two-part system. And you have an accelerator and a brake, basically. Emily Nagoski's book is Come As You Are is, is hands down the best on the science behind this for women. Every woman should read it. And so what happens is with spontaneous desire, that accelerator system is easily pushed, right? It's like a gas pedal in the car. You see something with your senses, your senses are looking and sensing all the time, even though you may not be aware of sexually relevant stimuli. That's just the normal way we are. A lot of men hear something, they see something, they smell something, hear, taste, imagine, instantly spontaneous desire. They want to have sex. They're not even aroused yet. It's just a desire. For responsive desire, what happens is the body responds to touch or affection or other things with your senses, aromatherapy or having a warm shower or a bath where you feel like you're, you can relax and uh, words. And I call it chore play too, you know, especially for busy parents and couples when a partner does chores that are really the other partner's chores, right? That's like chore play and foreplay, I call it because they're like, oh, you, you did that. You emptied the dishwasher. Thank you. I'm so, I was not looking forward to having another, you know, 40 minutes in the kitchen. You know, whatever. It's kind of funny, but think about it. Those kind of things, it's like acts of service, you know, or words or touch or the languages, those kind of things arouse women. Is, is diaper changing on that list? Just absolutely. <laughs> just wondering. Okay. All right. All right. And all you got to do, if men, if men knew all they had to do was change a couple diapers, do some dishes, maybe do cook a little dinner, they're in there. <laughs> ding, ding, right? Okay. So let, let's be really, here's a good example, like the dishwasher. So if the woman's bent over the dishwasher, and the man comes around the corner and sees her bent over the dishwasher, boom, spontaneous. You look good. That looks good. Let's do it, right? For a woman, you bent over the 
dishwasher doesn't nothing for, for most people. We're like, just empty the darn thing. When you get it empty, then I'm like, okay, man, that turned me on. Just it's simple, but and funny, but so when you come around that corner and you see her bent over that dishwasher, instead of going for her, go for those dishes and grab those dishes and start putting them on the shelf. You there got you go. hundred percent. <laughs> oh, so I, you know, this is how our brain works. So say you're in a relaxed setting, you're say you're just sitting out on your back porch or patio or what have you and you're just in a relaxed state and your partner comes up behind you and, and kisses your neck and you're not even thinking about sex you're just relaxing you're thinking about something else but just that touch and affection and a partner saying oh i just i missed you today it's so good to see you right now or whatever or you look great whatever speaks your language then your brain says oh oh, that feels good. Accelerator starts to get engaged, right? That feels good. And then it pays attention. So then when they start nuzzling your neck and, you know, rubbing your shoulders, you were like, oh, tune in, tune in, push on, push on. And that arousal starts. And then you think, oh, it would be nice to have sex. Do you see the difference? I'm also thinking that in the beginning of any relationship, when it's just lust filled, there isn't that much work involved. So it sounds like what you're describing is after the lust is gone, and then it really is a decision in a loving relationship, then how to move forward, that there's the effort that's involved. And maybe one of the fallacies is that we think there's not supposed to be any effort. You're exact, 100% right. People think that you should just know how to have great sex. And sex is like everything else. It's something you learn how to be pleased. You learn how to please. You learn what your body enjoys. You learn what a partner's body enjoys. And it's a learning process. Same with talking about sex. People always say, you shouldn't have to talk. It should just, you should know what to do. Well, we don't read minds. And talking about sex is, it's like a foreign language for so many people because it's unfamiliar and it's not what they're used to doing. But the good news is it's a skill you can learn. It's a language you can learn. Just helping people understand that is super, super important. Something you just mentioned about learning how to be pleased. Can you speak just to the role that masturbation or learning how to please yourself, how important that is into actual, you know, sexual enjoyment, sexual empowerment? Absolutely. I think that what most women need to hear early on is that the way to understanding their selves starts with themselves. That's why we want them to look at their body. We want them to look at where their parts are and how they're organized to touch their selves and feel how that feels. I mean, think of it. I can't even tell you the amount of women I've counseled or talked to or spoken with that the first person to ever touch their clitoris was not themselves. Your eyes are going, Wee! but it's, tr it's true. Wow. That's, that's, um, Frightening. Yeah. I want that to sink in. Women do not even have ownership over their own bodies. They're instructed to not touch their own bodies. It does not belong to them. And that idea has informed sex ed. And that idea also informs our politics. All actions, laws, all of them express an idea. And the idea that women do not even have authority over their own body, that they don't even know that this part is there, that the discovery of it is by somebody else. That's what I mean by weird or my eyes are bugging out because- Mind blown. It just, you know what it, it for me it's frustrating because I think, you know, we come, we've come so far. How is it that when it comes to sexuality that we are still talking as though it was, nothing has changed 
changed in the last century. But I do think that's an extension of patriarchy though, right? It's this kind of view that women are property of men. And that's what you see. That's, you know, when you have all the sexual assault issues or how we're allowing women to make medical decisions about their own bodies, how we discount stay-at-home mothers as not being the same level of worth as, and if you've ever stayed home with kids, you know that's some bullshit, <laughs> right? Like, Absolutely. So, you what know, do you mean? This whole, <laughs> if you ever, you know, and so this idea, this kind of overall discounting of women and what is perceived as feminine and this view of possession, many men feel like they possess women and why you have to like, you know, some of the, all these like really big hairy issues kind of start there. So it's not surprising from that context that women don't have empowerment or ownership over their own bodies. I think that's why the work that you're doing is so important in that giving women that power and comfort level to say, hey, this is my body and it's this is magical, wonderful thing. And how do you like in this world in kind of the age of like social media and like, you know, Instagram models and these, you know, women that are these kind of imagery of women that are obviously catering to men and, you know, I won't say just to men, but, you know, generally speaking to what a, a male vision of what beauty is, what kind of effect does that have on women and really empowering them to learn more about their bodies? I do a workshop called Your Body, She is Good. And it centers around this exact theme of coming to the place of accepting our bodies the way they are. Not only that, but respecting them, feeling like we do have ownership over our own body and also taking that the next step of being embodied, practicing embodiment. I think many, many women are just separated from their bodies. I see this over and over. There's practices that we can do to be more connected with our mind and body as a whole. We swallow so many toxic messages that become so embedded as women, men too, but since we're speaking about women, and it takes a lot of unraveling to come to the place of freeing yourself from that, getting out of that maze of just complete disconnect and getting to a new place. And I think there's some great teachers in this area. I think we are getting more on social media. Sonia Renee Taylor, The Body's Not an Apology, love her book, love her book for young people too. I think there are some really good, she's just one example because I just wrote something about her, her book because I just think more women need to have help along the way to come to the place of accepting and thinking their body is good instead of just embracing the narrative of body hatred and my body is for someone else not for me and that circles back to your former question which I do I'd love to just address a little bit in saying that I think that women who do explore their own body not only just looking at their parts and understanding where they are and how they're organized, but also understanding what touch is pleasurable for them, what brings them pleasure. That's a beautiful thing for them in having the sexual relationship that should start with themselves. And then if they decide to move into a partnered relationship, the key then is developing the language of talking about sex so that you can communicate with a partner and communicate what does bring you pleasure or yes this or no that or maybe this or maybe that or just using your words 
to say what you want so that you can experience pleasure. So you do want to be in a sexual relationship with your partner. Like you said earlier, so many couples, it's true. And this is how it goes. And not only that, I can't not bring up the issue of painful sex because the thing that has stunned me over and over again is how many women just live with painful sex thinking it's normal. It's just them. There's nothing to do about it. And I can do an hour consult with someone and it's, it's like their life has changed when they hear the truth about this is not normal and you don't need to live with this. Mm. And I just, I, I wanted to just throw that in there because it's one of the huge issues that I'm constantly like, wow, again, here's another woman who thinks this is okay and that it's normal and her partner may not even know. She's just living with that. I've talked to my students about that because I've heard about the phenomenon of painful sex. It was from an article that I read by Kate Julian. But what I have told my students, so now having you on as a nurse, it would be it would be great to hear, but I've said pain has a function that is actually a very good function. Like if you have ever walked into a coffee table and you stubbed your pinky toe, thank goodness that you have pain because then you retract your foot right away so you don't keep going forward. If you are having pain during sex, you need to speak to your doctor and you need to understand what is going on because pain is the your body's security alert system to let you know something is not Right. I, I love that explanation. I mean, and as a nurse, it's that's across the board, not just with sex. It's pain is your indicator. Your your body is speaking to your brain and saying, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention, right? We've trained ourselves to not pay attention. We don't listen to the signals from our body. And with sex, it's even more of an issue from what I've seen with women is because they have this understanding, this misunderstanding that that's just the way it is. Or that they are supposed to be pleasers, because I think that that could also be gender training, that sex is not for them and that you're always supposed to be making the other person comfortable. So it can be at the expense of having a healthy sex life. Yes, I agree. Absolutely. So probably the just quickly, in case a, a woman's listening right now and, and she's like, well, what are the things? Like, what, what are you talking about? What are the things I can do differently? What This is the thing, just even three small things that you can do on your own is number one, are you aroused enough? If your body is not aroused, you can experience more pain because there's a whole process that happens with arousal for women's bodies. It's not a two minute process. It's more of a 12 to 40 minute process for some women. That is a PSA for any man listening. There you go. So number one is the arousal piece. That's a huge factor and a huge factor in why a lot of women experience discomfort or pain. Number two is lubrication. Whatever you have seen and heard, (laughs) wetness is not the indicator that a woman is aroused and ready for sex. Her words are your indicator. Some women have more lubrication than others, different times of day, month, year, season in their life, hour to hour, it changes. And lube is your friend. Too much friction causes pain. And for some reason, uh, so many people have a stigma against lubrication. Lube is your friend. Did I say that? Let me say it again. (laughs) Lube is your friend. Um, So 
arousal, lube, and positioning. It's like sometimes it just takes realizing one position or another is more comfortable for you, one isn't. This definitely makes me uncomfortable. It could be so many factors, but those are three just of the first simple off the top of my head. Let's always look at these three things first. If you can fix those, great. If you can't, then there's something else deeper here at play that needs to be investigated. Like you said, and you want to seek some medical attention first. And if you can't get anywhere with that, then my next step for women almost always will be a pelvic floor specialist for women. It's just a game changer. And that has come into the forefront and been a huge game changer for women in relation to pain and sex. Yep. Oh. And men, I hope you're taking notes on this too. This is important information for you to know as well. <laughs> Yeah. Is it true that when a woman is ovulating that she is more, uh, what is the word? Mm, Horny. Feeling, yeah. Okay. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. Come up with. I know. I'm like trying to think of it. Is that true? You know, across the board, nothing is for everybody. Some women, when they're ovulating, that hormonal shift, they feel very sexual. They feel very horny. They they want to have sex. Some women are uncomfortable when they ovulate. They don't want to have sex. Everybody is different, but a lot of people do respond at that time to that hormonal shift. And well, ding, ding. And that's also when you can get pregnant, right? Our bodies are smart. Our bodies are intricate and every, everybody is individual. That's the one thing I want to be sure and say, because what I like may not be what you like. What you like may not be what your friend likes. And as you change and shift, you will change and shift. So that's the other thing that people get tied up with is, well, that used to work for us when, you know, five years ago. Well, that was five years ago. That might not work now. That might not work 10 years from now. It's just like anything. You have to shift and change. What other common misconceptions or things that you find that folks are, you know, just don't have an idea from or like eye-opening or, you know, other common things that would be super helpful for women and the men that love them to know? I think that everybody wants to be pursued. I think it's really helpful for men and women both to be the pursuer. I think that sometimes women are trained to just in the verbiage and education and media that they see is that they cannot pursue. Everybody wants to be wanted. I think in a relationship, especially a long-term relationship, I've been married for 34 years, so I'm in a long-term relationship. And I always try to encourage women to feel empowered to be the pursuer. You don't have to be the pursuer every time, but they feel like it's not something that they are allowed to do. It's something that works great all the way around for everybody in the relationship. If you change pursuing and mix things up, I think that people don't understand too that the erotic, our eroticism is fueled by novelty. And so people can get in a rut, people can keep doing the same thing in the same place, and they don't realize that your the eroticism is Esther Perel, but she says, you know, fire needs air. And she talks a lot about eroticism. I think that if people understood our erotic core and how it thrives on novelty and mystery and bringing those things into your relationship, especially over time, is a game changer for a lot of people. What kind of a change have you seen in the women that you have worked with? Because I'm getting the sense that the expression of sex and understanding of sex is actually, you know, Constantine, as you said, like about enjoying your life. What does having a healthier sex life and understanding of sex do for you outside of the bedroom? 
that can be different for a lot of people. But I'm going to flip that for one second and just say what I'm finding is I, as I work with women and encourage them to pause and notice what delights them and what brings them pleasure outside of sex, they're more able to bring that into sex. There's such a, just a huge issue for women around staying present in their mind and body during sex. It's easier to learn that outside of sex, I think, and bring it into sex than it is learning it in sex. So you can't be like redecorating the bedroom and doing your grocery list during sex, right? That doesn't, Oops. right. <laughs> it doesn't really, um, it, it doesn't really keep you present in your body. It doesn't keep you feeling and noticing the sensations you're feeling. And so I know I'm flipping this around, but this is actually what I find is once we do these things in our life normally, oh, that delights me or that brings me pleasure and no noticing for ourselves or noticing the feelings we feel in our body when we do that. For example, I'm a big flower person. So when I have new, new buds come out and I see that something's budding, it just makes me feel like, oh my goodness, this is... Oh, I just love that is like new growth, right? So then you bring that kind of mindset into your sensuality and into your partnered relationships in the sense of what th this feels good or that feels good or this makes me feel like growth and new. And do you see how this works? It's like bringing the normal everyday ways that you try to experience pleasure and delight will help you in your sensuality and in your sexuality to recognize delight and pleasure. And I think that women, back to your question, I think that women who experience pleasure in their bodies with sex, I'd be interested actually. I don't think that I've, I, now that I think about it, I don't know that I've asked a lot of people this question that you're asking me. I always get all the issues and then I don't get a lot of the follow-up. So I'd like to, I'd like to hear from women, you know, how they would describe that. I would say, what do you, what, what are you thinking? That if the way somebody's enjoying sex is actually, you know, for women is grounded in, there's partly self-esteem and understanding of how their body functions, how comfortable they feel, because you cannot have sex when you're when you're uncomfortable or when you're not acknowledging your own pain, for instance, mm -hmm. then um, I would imagine that learning about a healthy sexual relationship, which would mean self-esteem building, accepting yourself, knowing that you're not normal, not being embarrassed, being able to chase your own pleasure instead of depending on somebody else, responding to pain mm -hmm. in a healthy way, that that would radiate into different areas of your life. Like I maybe see. you'd be more willing to ask for that promotion. <laughs> like after you have all that, you're like, I know how to get that orgasm. I can get this promotion. I love that. It's like nutrients for your relationship with a partner. So, you know, in a partnered situation, sex is like, well, it's like, I'm a, I'm a gardener. So I keep using this kind of terminology, but it's, it's like nutrients, you know, you're, you're feeding your relationship with touch, connection, emotional connection, physical connection, and those things just spill out and over into all the other areas, right? Or they can. I would think that once a woman starts to understand herself and what she needs, probably the next step would be then to have some kind of conversation with their partner. Any thoughts or advice for women that want to have that kind of conversation with their partner and kind of give them that information that how to really please them and what she needs to feel fulfilled? Number one, I feel like it's better not to surprise. So I would set the stage. I would figure out what, what is it I want to talk about. Then I would say, I'd like to have a conversation about our sexual relationship, or I really like this 
about our sexual relationship. And I'd love to have more discussion about that. Would you be open to setting aside time for that? Right before sex, right after sex, in the bedroom during sex is not the ideal time to have these kinds of conversations. Better to be in the car, driving somewhere, or going on a walk together, or sitting at the table, having coffee. But a lot of people do better if they know ahead that's going to be the topic, especially if this is foreign conversation. Always start with something positive. That always helps. That's just basic communication skills. You know, I really, I care about you and I care about our relationship or I love the sex that we're having. I, I just really have learning some things and I think that it would be great to talk about them because I've learned some new things about myself. And I want to share that with you. Something positive and then what you have learned or want to talk about or change. And then get specific, not in a critical way, but in a way that says, gosh, I read this blog or I listened to this podcast and I, I figured out that I didn't know this and now I do. Did you know that? Well, how could we incorporate that in our relationship? Or I'd be really interested in trying that. I'd be really interested in bringing lube into our, for an example, right, into our sex life. I think I want to see if that would be pleasurable for both of us. What do you think about that? That kind of conversations can be hard at first and they get easier and easier. And try not to bring the whole bucket of stuff. Honestly, like just do one thing and then like next you never do the dishes. Don't bring that up. It's more like, let's try this. I think that's great. Instead of being critical, like you never, you know, X, Y, and Z, but to say, you know, oh yeah, I read this thing or I heard this podcast and let's try this. And talking about the sex can be very sexy. Trust me. I mean, once you get over the discomfort, even if you're laughing together about it, that's positive. And then it can move to being, uh, what I'm saying about not bringing it all in is don't say, I don't like every position we do. Oh, I need to bring lube in. Can we talk about toy? And don't bring it all at once. Just talk about one thing, work through that. And then the next time, talk about something else. That tends to go better in the conversations about sex. And it seems like this would be, equally beneficial whether it's a cis couple or a same-sex couple in that because women are so you know that misunderstanding and lack of knowledge is so widespread that even if you're in a same-sex female couple that you're still having can still have some of these issues because you don't understand your own body in the same absolutely way. and even the desire styles i was talking with a couple and one gal had spontaneous desire and one had responsive desire just the understanding of how that works across the board for every woman the information is important it doesn't matter what kind of relationship you're in or who you're in relationship with that's awesome what is a question that has stuck with you that somebody has asked? Either that it was bizarre, it was funny, or you're thinking, oh my God, but something that maybe caught you off guard. What is a question that you remember? N not much takes me off guard anymore, but I will say that I think the one that I guess grieves me is so often, we, when we've talked about this a lot on this podcast, is women not feeling like they have ownership of their own bodies. And so they participate in sexual acts that they're not really into or do not want or have not learned to say no. And this comes up quite often and, and related to a lot of different things. But what I guess I want women to hear is you can always say no to what you don't want to do. 
It's often with married couples and they'll say, my partner wants to do this and I don't feel like I can say no. And I don't agree. And guess what I'm saying? It just grieves me every time when a woman comes with the question of, do I have to do this? Or do I have to say yes to this? Or do I have to continue to allow him to do this even though it hurts me? And so I bring that up to say, you do not have to do anything you are not comfortable doing. It has to be absolute yes consent from both parties or it's a no. It has to be a hell yes. Absolutely. That's exactly right. I feel like that's as a parent, that's one of the things I want when it comes, especially for my daughter, but I think for, for my boys too, that whatever they're doing and just that they don't feel pressured to do something. It's about, they absolutely have to want it and, and then it's okay. But um, wow, that's... Such a good thing to teach. I'm so glad that you're verbalizing that. It's something that we want to teach our kids. You know, give them language around that as well as role play. It's just a good way for them to get in scenarios and then know, well, I could say this or I could say this. Or if if this came up, like, what would you say? Just throw out what you might say and I'll throw out what I might say. And then you role play that around and it gives them language around those kinds of decisions. That's really great advice. Not just saying this is what you should do, but actually so they have the tools to be able to do that. That's great. Zadie's getting it early. I know. I know. Oh, we're done. Uh, so, <laughs> so uh, Cindy, thank you so much. How can people get in touch with you? Uh, CindySharkey.com. It's C-I-N-D-Y-S-C-H-A-R-K-E-Y. I'm on Instagram at Cindy Sharkey. I'm on Facebook. But really, the meat of my education, I provide a free newsletter once a month to my newsletter community. They just sign up and I curate articles, videos, blogs, my own blogs, podcasts to listen to so that they can pick and choose what applies to them as parents or singles or couples and get more educated so that they can just experience and enjoy their sexuality. Thank you. And thank you, Constantine, for co-hosting. Hey. (laughs) Great to meet both of you. That was good stuff. Thank you so much for listening. This is our last episode of 2020. Thank you, Cindy, so much for all this great information. I have linked her website to the show notes and our Patreon page. I hope you're still wearing your masks. I hope you're still social distancing and have a happy new year. Until next time, bye.